I was a kid growing up in Jersey. Uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Big dumb blonde with her wheel in the gorge, and Turtle, that friend of theirs, with his checks all forged and his cheeks in a chunk with his cheese in the cash. They're all going to be there at that million dollar bash. Ooh, baby, ooh, wee, ooh, baby, ooh, wee. It's that million dollar bash. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the Freeland Rob Kelly. And joining us once again is music journalist Amanda Marchezo. Hi, Amanda. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. I'm glad to have you back. I really enjoyed our conversation, our first episode together, where we talked about the 30th anniversary concert celebration. But here, we're kind of doing classic Pod Dylan, and that we're talking about a song Million Dollar Bash, part of the legendary Basement Tapes, uh, released, of course, not uh, until 1975. I'm going to say straight up, Amanda, I'm glad you're here because I've tried to state over and over on this show that this show is not about what Bob Dylan songs are about because there is no one thing and there's no way to know. This show is about what they are about to us. And I will say, I have been listening to this song for 30 odd years. I still don't know what it's about. (laughs) <laughs> I just don't know. And I had a theory and it's an embarrassing one. And we'll get to that in a moment. But you asked to do this song. I'm going to assume you have something in your mind as to what it, at the very least million dollar bash means to you. We went back and forth like, you know, what, you know, what songs would you want to do? And there's all the obviously all the, the popular ones. But this song was always a big deal in my house growing up just because this has got the like quintessential Bob Dylan vocal thing happening with the ooh, baby. <laughs> like he he just goes full Dylan, like full mm-hmm. Bob on that. And it's it's that to me has always just resonated as as such a, a, a Bob Dylan thing to do. So as a child, I absolutely adored this song because it was so much fun to sing. As an adult, when you actually listen to this song and try and figure out what in the heck it's about, eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I had to think more about it in, in leading up to this podcast than I think I ever have in my life. Okay. <laughs> so I'd have something to talk about other than just like, I really love this song. But I have my theories and I actually went and, and researched what other people on the internet, like other, you know, Bob Dylan uh, blogs and, and people who love to try and figure out what songs are about, thought about it. And it's all basically the same stuff. It's, it's a party, but it's mm-hmm. a party as somebody looking inward. And the people at this party are the people nobody likes right now. <laughs> it's, it's the rich. It's the, it's the fat with money. And, and I have no redeeming qualities in this world except for my wallet kind of people and the, the bulging with excess kind of people. And he just kind of narrates that. Or at least that's my opinion. Okay, that's interesting. All right, fair enough. I mean, I will admit... Uh, when I was first I said, when I was first getting, uh, buying all the Bob Dylan records and I was sort of just taking it all in and I wasn't as familiar with the history of the records as in terms of mm-hmm. when they came out and stuff. I always assumed that this, and I knew that Bob was not at Woodstock. I knew that right. detail that, that they had purposely put Woodstock in his backyard 
just so he would attend, and then he doesn't show up. I knew oh, that. I know where you're going with this. And I, I thought, right, I thought that this was <laughs> Bob Dylan making fun of Woodstock. This was I love kind of it. I never thought mockingly of that. saying, "Oh, it's the million dollar bash," you know, like and <laughs> and of course that it didn't take too long for me to realize. Well, no, that can't be the case because he wrote this in like 1967 which is when it was recorded and right. Woodstock, the concert uh, wasn't Didn't until, until 69. It wasn't until 69. And even then the crowd, the Woodstock crowd really didn't show up in that area till like late 68 or 69. So none of, so that that's out the window. That's out the window, that whole idea. But, but that was what it was about for me was that Bob was sort of making fun of this crowd that wanted to claim him. And he was like, I don't want to, I'm not part of you. I'm my own thing. I love that. I love that. I never had that thought. That's, but it doesn't, but it, right. But I mean, it's, it's what, it's one of the things where I'm like, okay, clearly that's not what it's about. But at the same time, the songs are about whatever you want them to be about. If there is no right or wrong, it does not matter. I, I would think that if you went up to Bob Dylan and said, Hey, Bob, Mr. Tambourine Man to me is about my cat. He would say, all right, yeah, that great. It works Absolutely. for you. Absolutely. That's it fantastic. Sure is. You know? Um, so the song, the song continues on. It's everybody from right now to over there and back. The louder they come, the bigger they crack. Although on the webdom.com, it says the harder they crack. Yes. So still rewriting. Come now, sweet cream. <laughs> Don't forget the flash. We're all going to meet at that million dollar bash. And then the ooey baby ooey. It's that million dollar bash. You mentioned, uh, you know, a second ago about liking the song as a kid. And it's sort of funny mm-hmm. in that the basement tapes are not at all what you would consider children's music in any yeah. way, shape or form. They're, they're all about hedonism and like bacchanalia getting yeah. high. And yet the, <laughs> the song forms so much sound like nursery rhymes. And that to me, the, of all the Bob Dylan albums, I could see the basement tapes appealing the most to children because they have that kind of sing-songy, childlike rhythm to them, and especially the ooh-ee, ooh, baby, ooh-ee, ooh-ee, you know, like it's, yeah. it's, it's like noises you make as a kid. Like you're like, oh, I'm going to imitate a donkey, ooh-ee, or something <laughs> like that. I could see like a children's album of basement tape songs by like children's, <laughs> uh, you know, children's singers. If you could just forget the lyrical content. And the funny thing is, is like, that's the only song from the basement tapes that I really liked growing up as a kid. Like I really? know, I know all the songs, but the only one that appealed to me was, was million dollar bash. It's just a fun song to sing along with. And I don't know. I, I always took great pride. in when I, I learned all the words to any difficult to sing Bob Dylan song, like mm. subterranean homesick blues, gives me a lot of pride that I know all the words to that song and right. for a long time. But the same thing with this one, you know, you just, there's so much going on and it, it becomes so fun to sing. And that was, I, I started doing that as a kid. So it's, it, it's one of those songs that as a child, you just enjoyed putting all those words together and then getting to the chorus and getting to go, Ooh, baby, mm-hmm. Ooh, wee, and do your best Bob Dylan. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I could see like one of those like speaking spells, like you yes. pull the string and like mix the cows <laughs> out and you pull this it, like wooey, woo, baby. I can like picture that, that in my mind. Remember that one? It had it was it was like a round thing, right? When we were yeah, kids at yeah. the same time, and you pulled yep. it and it would like land on a certain farm animal yep, and be like, yep. you know, but it lands on Bob Dylan and goes, Ooh, yeah, baby. Exactly. <laughs> There's a whole line of Bob Dylan's Bob Dylan children's merchandise that says <laughs> they haven't merchandised yet. He Bob's got it, but the whiskey's great, Bob, but let's go with children's children speak and spell so uh so the, he goes on he says well i took my counselor out to the barn silly nelly was there she told him a yarn then along came jones which by the way was a song a famous song right. by the coasters 
emptied the trash. Everybody went down to that million dollar bash and the ooey ooh baby. It's that million dollar bash. Once again, pound for pound, Bob Dylan creates more characters in the basement tapes than in probably any other album that he's come up with. I mean, we've already got like half a dozen people populating the million dollar bash, <laughs> none of whom are really sketched in more than the broadest strokes. And none of them really sound like anybody you want to hear anything more about. Right. Like yeah. Bob, Bob, Bob came up with some really great characters that, you know, were intriguing, but there's nobody in this song whatsoever that you want to really dig into because they all sound like terrible, you know, over and indulged gross people at the the wealthiest party you've ever been to <laughs> i don't i don't get invited to a lot of those parties obviously no i don't yeah. the ones the ones i've been at you know i felt like a square peg in a round hole you know these are people that you know they all have a lawyer on retainer and and then <laughs> <laughs> they're wearing more jewelry than you know the the cost of my car i i don't relate to that and i kind of feel like listening to this song you're that person looking in being like ugh. But but following along with every character being like, all right, so this is like watching a reality show right now. And there's all these people and they're doing their rich people things. You know, they're having their rich people discussions and, you know, took her counselor out to the bar. And OK, what do you want to talk about with your counselor? <laughs> right. Yeah. I have to wonder. I mean, again, we have to you know, remember the context of this, that Bob right. Dylan was was recording this after he had sort of purposely absented himself from the. The, the the gears of the record industry and which makes uh, it make all the more sense when you say that too because right, it, right. it seems like looking in on exactly that right he was going he was probably attending a lot of these sort of sessions and things like that and probably meeting a lot of people that he wasn't too thrilled with uh people that were uh constantly wanting to turn whatever he was doing into product right uh, i've always wondered about that and it's across every every song we ever cover here on the show or books I read about Bob, where it's like, it's gotta be a weird feeling when you are in a position knowing that something you create immediately has monetary value to a great number of people. Uh, for people who don't have that, like, like myself, it sounds kind of great. You're like, wow, I could create something and immediately get money for it. But that's a lot of pressure too. Sure. And it cheapens your art. Right. You know, I mean, all of a sudden you got to know that if you create something, there's going to be like this team of people that want to get their hands on it and turn it into a product in, on some some respect. You know, can we sell right. it to a commercial? Can we can we farm it out to uh, I mean, like the basement tape songs? Can we farm them out to other musicians and so they can get hit singles out of them? That's got to be a weird position almost i could see it almost paralyzing you in a way of like well i don't want to write down another word because then it just immediately gets sucked into the again the meat grinder of the of the industry right and it comes out the other side you know as dollars but then then you're wondering like this art that you're proud of that you put all this time and effort into and this feels like a little a little tidbit of your soul that you put down is now just like toothpaste to somebody, yeah. you know, like it's, it doesn't mean anything. But on the con, on, on the other side of that is, is one thing I've always admired about Bob is he's never really said no when somebody was like, Hey, I want to cover your song, you know, like, yeah. he's just like, all right, well, here's my rate. You know, he, he <laughs> takes his publishing very seriously as he should, as we know, and, yeah. you know, as long as you're paying what you're supposed to. So he's going to get what he needs out of it or, you know, what he's entitled to. He's never, he never really says no. He lets people go and, and be creative with, with his art. And I, I admire that, but at the same time, I, I don't, I don't think I'd be able to do that. Yeah. I mean, as, I guess as someone who has covered as many songs as he has, he realizes he can't be terribly precious about it because Exa- he's done exactly. it to other people's songs. Exactly. But there's but, a lot of people who came out of, you know, who went into folk and came out, you know, in rock and roll and it doesn't matter how many songs they cover, they still, you know, they covet their material so tightly 
you know, I don't want anybody covering my song or, or they hear somebody do it and they get upset. Well, I don't like the way that person did it. And he's never really been like that. So it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a fun, it's a fun thought to have that he's just, he's got the right idea about it as aloof as everybody says that he is and everybody's opinion of him when it comes down to his, his copyrighted material, he's pretty forgiving with it. A lot of it. I do wonder if something that that comes from having written so many songs. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe if, if you've written 17 songs, maybe you're a little more precious about them. But when you've written 500 <laughs> after a while, you know, you're like, all right, that's fine. You know, it's, somebody, it's true. It's true. Although it, I don't think has, has, has his stuff been in commercials? I can't even think of anything off the uh, top of my head. That's something that's happened relatively recently where it's like it's all over the place now where there's the uh, shelter from the storm. Is, oh, that's uh, like right. I forgot about that. And yeah. the, there was times there. I mean, forever young. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's he's doing it now. He's like, okay, you can pay the fee and get it. I have to. What, well, he, I, just, I, he just made a big sale to be. Yeah, he just sold the yeah. right. He just sold the rights to everything. We never talked about. I haven't. I haven't had a chance to talk about that on the show because it just kind of came and went, and then I went off and did other things. I mean, you know what? We're going to talk about that in a minute. Let's finish okay. up with Million Dollar Bash. Okay. I'm gonna give, I because I haven't had a chance to talk with anybody about that. That's gonna be interesting. Oh, I have thoughts. We it's can talk. Great, especially <laughs> it's kind of fitting in that million dollars, a money quotient here in this song. So the Absolutely. song is on. He says, "Well, I'm hitting it too hard. My stones won't take." I get up in the morning, but it's too early to wake. First it's hello, goodbye, then push, then crash. We're all going to make it at that million-dollar bash. And then he continues, well, I looked at my watch. I looked at my wrist. I punched myself in the face with my my favorite line. (laughs) I took my potatoes down to be mashed. Then I made it all over to that million-dollar bash. Ooh, baby, ooh-wee, ooh, baby, ooh-wee. It's that million-dollar bash. Again, I'm reading these lines, and I like hearing him sing them like they're fun to listen to and i love the way he sings the punch myself in the face with my fist <laughs> yes. like this sort of like exhaust i punch myself in the face with my fist like, really <laughs> leading into it i mean i could take meanings i can piece together meanings from this song by little lines here and there not as a cohesive whole i looked at my wrist i punched myself in the face with my fist Looking at your watch to me, it's like you're you're. I took it as like you're you're uh, you're you're hurrying yourself along, like you're punishing yourself. You're on some yes. schedule that's you of your own devising, which as a podcaster I can relate to. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're kind of self inflicted a little bit, and yet you're like, oh, what am I doing this to myself sometimes? So that's how I took it. That that yes. said, the song I'm still at sea with this song, but I do, <laughs> I do enjoy listening to it because it is a fun vocal performance by him and the band. It is. And it's, it's actually, it's a lot of, when you're in the middle of the song, just to ponder what he's saying while he's saying it and try to picture it in your mind. And it's such a, like, I feel like if you, if you, it was a different time in my life and a few more psychedelics, you know, like this would make <laughs> a lot more sense to me than it is right now at 42 years old. Even lines like, you know, took my potatoes down to be mashed. I'm sure there's a meaning there, but it's something that I literally will sing as I'm mashing potatoes in my kitchen. Just, it's just because it's that it's, it's fun to sing. But that segment in, in the, other than what you said, like when you say it, it's like you realize you're punishing yourself with your own schedules and your own devices and your own, art so to speak and putting it out there um beyond that i have no idea what he's talking about no <laughs> idea no idea whatsoever <laughs> the one other bit that i feel like is maybe some slice of uh, autobiography and again it, it doesn't mean this but i just feel like maybe it's the inspiration where he talks about i get up in the morning but it's too early to wake i had read in numerous places that 
Bob uh, was the one getting up at like six in the morning and batting out lyrics and he would try and rouse the band and they were all just still asleep. <laughs> they were all just, <laughs> they were, they were late risers, Rick Danko and Garth Hudson yeah. and Robbie Roberts. So he was the one who was like, he would take his kids to school. Bob would take his kids to the school bus or whatever, uh, and then come back and be like, all right, we're going to come on guys. Let's make some music. I just, <laughs> I love that idea too, of like being rousted at, you know, 11 in the morning by Bob Dylan. Like that's just funny. Come on guys. We're gonna, uh, all right, Bob, leave me. All right. Okay. All right. Oh, gonna, five more minutes, Bob. Five, five more minutes, minutes Bob. I was up really good. Let me, let me plug my guitar in. So it's sort of thing where we, especially on this show, I hit so hard on the lyrics. Cause as you know, as I've said, I'm not a musician. I can't speak to that part of it. I can't speak to chord changes or any of that stuff. I, I really am like a, just stumbling in the dark when it comes to that sort of stuff. So I only, I lean on the lyrics by nature, but at the same time, there's so many songs of Bob's that don't you can't interpret the lyrics to have any great particular insight it's more of a feeling that you get from it yes it's it's it's, uh another basement tape song that i covered way back in the early part of the show one of my favorite songs of bob dylan's period is you ain't going nowhere uh where he sings and where he sings about genghis khan and you know Mm -hmm. uh, and a, a fish and a dog and all this you know all this sort of nonsensical stuff which are like well that can't that really doesn't mean anything (laughs) <laughs> but but I love the feeling of it. There's a joy to it in his vocal performance that is separate from the brilliance of any lyricism, you know? And that's always Agreed. the thing that, that's the thing I try and explain to people when they say, oh, you know, he's a great lyric writer as, as a kind of like offhanded or backhanded compliment, you know? It's like, well, he, he's a great lyricist. Yes. No, he's a great singer because he can convey things through his vocal performance that on paper don't make any sense. And so you read the lyrics to Million Dollar Bash and you're just like, what, what, what is this? You know? <laughs> and then true to form, this song has been performed one time live, just one time on November 25th, 2005. And you can find that performance on YouTube. And I, yep. I watched it. And first of all, I love hearing the crowd playing spot the song. Uh, which is a game that I've played at all the Bob Dylan concerts I've been to, where he starts singing a song and that first line, you're like, what, what? You're trying to listen. <laughs> and you, you know, you're like, what is he singing? I have no idea. And then you hear he's singing, he sings that first line and people are just like, Ugh. and then when he gets to like, he finally gets to the chorus at that million dollar best, you hear the crowd go, Woo! they finally <laughs> understand. Oh, that's the song I'm hearing. And the performance is great it yeah it feels like a party song even though as you talk about it's kind of like nasty in its own way and it's just mocking these people but it's this really kind of wonderfully celebratory performance and it's really really good and it it made me like yeah it's a song that lives in performance it's not a song that works as words on paper but as a performance it's great and it's such a shame that it's he only did it as a one-off because it's really really fun he really clearly enjoyed singing it and it's a darn shame that it, it had one out that's his it. entire yeah. history that's it i have to wonder why that is too you know like i'm yeah. sure bob has his reasons for everything but i have to wonder why that was just never a song that got performed when when i mean it's not like he has a small catalog to choose from but is it one that he just didn't like you know or or didn't get the response that he wanted when it originally was released i, I have no idea it's such a, it's such an odd thing it's such a great song yeah and we also you know too when you when the basement tapes came out the, the original record i bought it you know in the 90s or whatever it was in the late 80s i didn't know uh at the, how much material they had to perm from it wasn't until later on and i got the bootleg mm-hmm. series and i realized oh my god there was hundreds of songs 
and knowing that, uh, and then you see what was actually put on the original Basement Tapes release, you're like, well, okay. Obviously, the the people compiling it, Bob and Robbie Robertson and whoever else worked on it, obviously had certain feelings about some songs over others because they had a lot of material to perm from, uh, yeah. as we know. I mean, they later came out with the, the bootleg series of just the Basement Tapes, and it's like, you know, like a five-volume set. And obviously, Million Dollar Bash or Odds and Ends, these kinds of short little, almost throwaway songs, and yet they felt these were the ones to be put on the basement. They obviously felt they had some real value. And the song even appeared on Biograph, mm-hmm. uh, the, the greatest hits collection, essentially. Yeah. So obviously, you know, some people at Dylan's Camp are fans of, of Million Dollar Bash. I don't know how you can't be. It's such a good song. <laughs> it really it's such, like I said, it's such a typical, like, I love what you say when, when people are like, well, you know, he, he writes a really good song. Yeah. But, you know, because they don't like, listen, I'm also a really big Rush fan. And I understand that people don't like the way Getty Lee sings. Mm-hmm. But those are the same people that are like, yeah, you know, Rush, Rush kind of sucks. You know, those are the same ones who are like, Bob Dylan can't sing. Mm-hmm. No, just because you don't like it doesn't mean that it's not good. Right. It doesn't appeal to you. And that's fine. Lots of yeah. things I don't like, too. But I don't ever tell anybody, well, no, it's, it's just not good. Well, yeah. no, it is really good because Bob Dylan can convey, like you said, an emotion or a time and place, you know, just the way he, he sings something. It, just because he doesn't have enough vibrato in his voice and it's not really pretty doesn't mean that he doesn't know how to use it. He uses his voice like an instrument and that's what he's supposed to be doing. I can't imagine someone with a classically pretty voice, however, however, uh, whatever image that conjures in your mind is listening to it, like, you know, like a Mariah Carey or like a you know, Katy Perry or like a Celine Dion or something like someone who has a classically yeah, sort of pretty voice can you hear picture any of them singing i punch myself in the face with my fist can you hear that? Ooh, ooh, baby yeah i don't know what that would sound like you know so it sounds, would sound so pretty and odd no it yeah, it would, it real, to yeah. it's got to have that grit to it that weird syrupy grit uh again exactly. and, I, and i love the the way the band sings on the chorus uh, you can hear yep. them leaning into it you get them leaning into the microphone now it's funny that um there was a book about the basement i mean there's been a bunch of books about the basement tapes obviously there was real markets invisible republic or that old weird america i think it was retitled but there was another book by sid griffin about the basement tapes and the title of it is million dollar bash so again the song has got some cultural relevance <laughs> now it's sort of funny I have not read that book. I'd like to. I'd like to read any Dylan books. I just haven't been able to read them all. In a weird way, in retrospect, you could look at the basement tapes as a million-dollar bash, considering how much money has come out of these songs. Sure. I mean, the Quinn the Eskimo. And, I mean, all these songs, you know, a lot of these songs have become major hits for artists across the decades. So even though the basement tapes were a way for Bob to relax, get away from the grind of the music industry – and record music with his buddies and as he says a dog laying on the floor (laughs) this thing ended up becoming like a fountain of profit for a lot of people so in an own weird way this became its own million dollar bash (laughs) it's very very true so again it's a cute song it's fun uh it really does live in the vocal performance and it's again it's not song that you can probably analyze too terribly much when you said you wanted to do it i went over and i read the words i was like what is I don't know. What am I? What am I <laughs> sweet, sweet cream. What am I? No, yeah, yeah. What is wrong with her? No, I mean, it's just like, what am I going to talk about here? But okay. All right. That's good. So, so that's million dollar bash. So, so we talked a second ago about Bob Dylan selling his catalog rights. And again, that's because of the way I do the show and it's so song centric. I, I tend to miss news events as they pass. And then by the time I get around to doing a show, 
the event is three weeks old. I was like, all right, what's the point of talking about? It? But I am interested in, in talking to people about this. What is your feeling about, about Bob Sully's um, catalog? So here's the thing. I have, I have a real quick uh, history that of, of literally sitting at a desk in midtown Manhattan for a publisher and processing royalties. So I have a little bit of background in it, not a lot, um, but it was, it was the publisher, you know, I got to, I got to type in Woody Guthrie a lot and it was really, really fun. It was, it was like kind of a privilege for me in seeing actual payments made by like the Grammys, when the Grammys use a real quick snippet of a song and not for a winner, but for like a promo piece, they have to pay for that. Okay. And it's a very large check that gets processed for that. So for somebody like Bob Dylan, who's, you know, he's nearing, what, 80 years old now? He will be 80 in 80. a couple, like about a month from now. Yeah, he's he's almost to 80. He's he's protecting himself. And it's not like he's somebody who, you know, was, was always very, very guarded about his material. And, you know, he's not like Tracy Chapman. You can't touch Tracy Chapman's catalog. It's actually, it's kind of a joke. You can't touch her stuff. She does not give permission to cover her songs ever. And she holds her stuff very, very close to her. And as an artist, I get that. Bob was just never like that. He had a rate and you had to pay it. And as long as you reached out to the publishing company and you did what you were supposed to do, wrote your check, everything's fine. So he's, I, I just looked it up because it wasn't BMI. It was, was it Universal Music? That he sold uh, I think it's it Universal. Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah. For 300, three or $400 million. So Bob pretty much just set up the rest of his life. He still maintains control, not to the degree that he did before, but he still maintains control of, of his his property and where he can say no right in case somebody's like hey i want to uh ted cruz wants to borrow one of his songs to run for president bob has the ability to go no 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 exactly (laughs) that's that's not gonna happen um but he's he's protecting himself he's set up now he doesn't have to worry for the rest of his life as if i don't know what his financial situation was before this i don't think he did he had to worry before but i think he he genuinely doesn't have to worry now and from what i understand and i don't know that this is completely true this is just stuff that i read a couple times in different articles that there is a a trusted team of people that will govern over his music as um kind of like the woody guthrie foundation does with woody's music you know like nora guthrie does at the time of his you know no longer being on this planet Mm. so it's it was part of all of that to set that up so he's 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 covered his his musical art is covered so i a lot of people, you know, talked a lot of trash about him doing. I don't think that there's any reason. I didn't I didn't begrudge him. It made me sad when it happened because I just felt as though, well, this is the first thing I can at least publicly that I can think of where he is um table setting for Yes. for the end. And that makes yes. me profoundly sad. But of course, I had that moment too. I yeah, get it. You know, it's like he's basically saying, "All right, I'm setting this up for my great great grandchildren, right. uh, who will be, you know, living off of Million Dollar Bash and, and uh, <laughs> like a Rolling Stone and and uh, Night After Night and uh, Joey." But it made me sad that that felt like that it's something he has to do. But of course, he has to do it because he's mortal. Like, oh well, I I, I assume he's mortal. Uh, but I mean. I, you know, <laughs> You know what I mean? And so that part made me sad. It, yeah, it, it's got to be a very strange feeling, like we talked about, to write this material and then hand it over to somebody. But uh, you got to hope that, yeah, they can, they, he can still control its use here and there. I would be, it would, I mean, I don't find Bob Dylan's use in commercials to, to in any way that they are a detriment to the song, because to me, the song is the song. Yeah. Uh, it gets used in a different context, whatever. That's fine. I can, you know, I don't, I don't, 
when I when I listen to Forever Young, I don't think of the fact that it's the theme song to the show Parenthood. You know, I don't think about that. It's just like, all right. No, I so, loved that. <laughs> um, I mean, well, I didn't mean that in a bad sense, but it's not like no. I think of Parenthood when I hear Favorite. It's like, no, I think of whatever I think of when I hear Forever Young. I, I, do, I w- it would bother me if, if Dylan's songs got used for purposes that were clearly against what he would have believed in. In yes. some way, and and hopefully he said there will be a team of people that he, as you said, trusts to keep that from happening. But yeah, you know, again, it really, I was like, look, this this is his sweat, his tears. He's the one that lives with this material, and he has the right to do with it what he wants. And uh, good for him, you know. I mean, to be honest, four hundred million or whatever it was seemed a little low. I mean, I, yeah, the sheer volume of songs, I felt like really that didn't seem I, like. I think he's still getting like. Um... And you know what? I I wasn't working. I only worked in publishing for a few months doing royalties. So I don't know the ins and the outs as well as a lot of people do. But there's there's a lot to it. And there's there's rates and there's, you know, depending on what the usage is going to be. I, to the best of my knowledge, he's still going to be pulling profit off of usage. So it's not just the the initial uh, purchase that they did that that's not going to be the end of of his money as far as his streams of revenue from from publishing i think he's still going to be getting paid when people use his music mm. and from what i've heard from other people is he just didn't want the responsibility of those phone calls and those emails anymore of being wow. like hey you know so and so wants to use your song so and so wants to use this clip you know he just kind of was just like i just want to create things out of metal in my yeah and and, you know hang out with grandkids and do whatever you know he just wants to be bob dylan you know 80 years old and enjoying his life and he's worked hard for that i give it to him you know like uh, that's a good good chunk of change to put in your savings account yeah (laughs) it's a lot of zeros i again it'll be interesting to see what some of the i mean i I joked about in the episode a couple a couple episodes back about the when we did the all the tired horses episode i'm like that's in a movie i'm like man (laughs) That's it. I know that Wes Anderson used wigwam. You know, I'm like, there yeah. is no song exempt from somebody wanting to use it. I'm not familiar with the Million Dollar Bash ever being anywhere, but it's going to show up eventually somewhere. Somebody's going to find a use for it and drop it at a movie or a TV show or something. It's just a. It's got to be. You know what? I feel kind of sad that nobody has has tapped into that yet because that's yeah. such a great song. Yeah, come on, somebody, yeah, get get with it. So again, that's that's Million Dollar Bash. Uh, again, it's it's a song. It's. Uh, it's goofy fun. I think that's the best way to, to mm-hmm. describe it. So, Amanda, thank you so much for mentioning it, bringing it up. I can't imagine anyone else was going to talk about Million Dollar Bash. So this was great having you back on. Thank you so much. I really, really have a good time doing this. So if you ever want me on again, you just say the word. Absolutely. So why don't you tell people where they can find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me at a aperfectmessblog.com. I'm on all, sign, all, all kinds of uh, social media, too. The blog has kind of been in a little bit of a sleeper hold during this pandemic because a lot of what i write about is live shows and new releases and there hasn't been a whole lot of either Neither of those, one of those so, things, yeah. <laughs> so we've just started kind of doing uptick on helping bands with promotion in the last couple of months so we're we're kind of getting back in there all right very cool uh, of course you can find all the back episodes of this show on our website firewaterpodcast.com you can subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts, spotify and stitcher we're always talking Bob over on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, please go to patreon.com slash FW Podcast. There you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. So if you love Bob Dylan and you want to support it, please go to patreon.com slash FW Podcast. Like these cool people, Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, Sebastian Crook, and George Doherty. 
Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. Well, that big dumb blog with a wheel gorged. Turtle, that friend of hers with his checks all forged and his cheeks in a chunk with his cheese in the cash. They're all going to be there at that million-dollar bash. Ooh, baby.